There is a future beyond shell. It is necessary, overdue, and inevitable. In its place, we are building a clean, fair, and affordable energy democracy. Get ready. Oil and gas major shell has contributed significantly to the climate crisis. It has long impeded a just transition away from fossil fuels. But what are the pathways to a future beyond shell? If we are serious about putting a stop to the polluting colonial capitalist company, we need to take a good look at the options. Bankrupting, carbon pricing, suing, nationalizing. What can we achieve with these strategies? Welcome to the Future Beyond Shell podcast, in which we explore potential pathways to responsibly dismantle Shell as we know it. We are your hosts, Archina Ramanujan and Marisol Reindl. Russia's economy depends heavily on oil and gas revenues, and scholars, journalists and activists have suggested that Putin's war in Ukraine is a fossil-fueled war. In the first 100 days of the conflict, Russian fossil fuel exports earned Russia 93 billion US dollars. Indeed, various countries, particularly in Europe, have become heavily dependent on Russian exports of fossil fuels. In 2021, Russia supplied 40% of Europe's gas and a quarter of Europe's oil needs. Russia also exported heavily to China. In this context, various countries, including European Union member states, have been scrambling to find alternative sources to disentangle themselves from the Russian economy and ramp up sanctions against Russia. However, action has been uneven and slow. The United States, Britain, Australia, and Canada have enacted an embargo of Russian oil and gas, and the EU has put in place a plan to phase out 90% of Russian oil imports by the end of 2022. Meanwhile, China and India are taking advantage of low prices for Russian oil and gas to increase imports from Russia. Oil and gas prices elsewhere have soared due to a mix of price gouging by carbon majors, the war in Ukraine, and lasting COVID impacts, with consequences across the world. For example, while oil-producing African nations like Nigeria might be able to profit from high oil prices, the local population cannot afford to buy the oil that their countries produce. It also remains to be seen whether the countries that have put embargoes in place will speed up their transition to renewable energy instead of simply looking for fossil fuels elsewhere. In this shifting context, this episode tackles one, the relationship between revenues from fossil fuel exports and Russia's attack on Ukraine, two, the challenges and payoffs of divestment from and embargoes of Russian oil and gas, and three, what possibilities for a future beyond fossil fuels the situation opens up. How might we set up an energy system that allows us to condemn war and incursions on sovereignty and promotes peace? In this episode, we will be speaking to Svetlana Romanko, a leading Ukrainian climate campaigner, environmental lawyer, and spokesperson for Stand with Ukraine. As part of this coalition, she has been advocating for a full ban on Russian fossil fuels and a larger fossil fuel phase-out as a way to undermine Russia's expansion attempts to eliminate oil-driven war and to stop climate change. Welcome Svetlana, it's really nice to have you here. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me here and inviting me to speak. 
Um, yeah, maybe to start off our conversation uh, today, uh, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your work. As I just mentioned, you're part of the Stand with Ukraine coalition, uh, but you've also written, yeah, for instance, op ads uh, where you called uh, on banks to divest from uh, fossil fuels at large, uh, but also to end, of course, the war in Ukraine and to fight climate change. So I'm wondering if you could uh, tell us a little bit more about these campaigns and call outs and what is really behind them. Yes, uh, sure. I will be happy to share on behalf of, of 45 Ukrainian organizations and networks who initiated this call uh, in the early March. Just we, we started thinking uh, about what to do about Russian fossil fuels and this fossil fuel war since the war just started at the very next day when the war started, because we were we've been very clear that this war is similarly to a climate crisis, um, to energy crisis, has the same roots, the fossil fuels. And uh, we are involved uh, over 80, uh, 800 organizations from over 60 countries into the coalition who supported our call to action. And we started massive campaigning against, first of all, as a priority against the Russian fossil fuels in European countries and beyond of European countries, mainly targeting their main importers of uh, Russian oil, gas and coal, just to make them to ban all, all fossil fuels that they import from, from Russia so far, just to stop Putin's war machine and Russia's aggression against Ukraine. And uh, we also targeted some countries that are not in the EU, but also are the largest importers of Russian oil and gas mostly, and coal specifically. And uh, we 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 drafted many letters signed in agreement with many members of the coalition. For example, as a letter to Bundestag, to German Parliament, because German Germany has uh, just the main dependency based mostly on Russian gas and for the industries that needs Russian gas, as Germany says to us. Uh, also, we had a letter to Chinese government when China was supposed, some three state national companies of China were supposed to consider buying Russian assets uh, then, um, that has been um, divested and sold by, by other entities, by other parties. But after after this letter led by Asian partners, they uh, didn't, didn't buy these assets, which we considered also a win and many many more actions and the current the latest we i can name a few uh first of all this is uh 100 days of russian ag aggression against ukraine this statement is being published and also supported by by a wide range of international and national organizations we are calling for more strict sanctions on russian oil and gas uh, including the countries that continue importing uh, Russian oil and gas and coal. And also we are calling for secondary sanctions and for a rapid transition to renewable and clean energy everywhere, which of course may be only done with immediate phasing out of fossil fuels and ban all new oil, gas and coal fields as well. Uh, what's, uh, what we also demanded so far, we demanded the banks, uh, especially Putin's hundred big financial, financial institutions who still maintain the assets in the Russian fossil fuel industry and infrastructure, 
we just demanded divest from Russian fossil fuels and uh, dry out the fossil fuel fossil fuel money that feed Putin's war machine as well. Some of these attempts were successful, but we also we are putting a lot of pressure on the banks uh, since the war started and right now. And some pension fund pension funds, for example. In uh, in uh, Denmark and some banks across uh, Europe, as Credit Agricole started, cuts the financing and just consider this very toxic to fund the Russian fossil fuel industry. And the latest release today, we released a letter to Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero with a demand for them just to develop con concrete timetables, investment plans, which will enable 4 trillion US dollars annually for a renewable energy transition. And we just shared this letter among our networks and, uh, and widely and just start targeting Mr. Bloomberg and Mr. Carney from Quant's uh, Alliance. Because we are very mindful that uh, the fossil fuel industry is uh, quite uh, profitable and uh, they won't end profiting on people and on the wars and conflicts anytime soon by themselves. We have to make enough pressure on them and on those financial institutions on their behind and just cut all financial flows to Russia primarily because Russia is a just horrific aggressor and uh, devastating impacts on my country. Uh, we cannot, we, we, we just tried actually to describe in numbers but also to all other countries and regions to restore peace and enable the green energy transition everywhere. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Svetlana, to provide a first overview of your work. I think it's really impressive. And I think, yeah, in just a minute, we will also want to take a bit more time to delve more into the details of, yeah, a potential of embargo, et cetera. But I think, uh, yeah, helpful for um, our discussion is first maybe to unpack a little bit more, like to what extent fossil fuels are really uh, funding Putin's war in the Ukraine and how, uh, yeah, divesting from fossil fuels might aid ending the war. Could you, yeah, delve into that a little bit? Yeah, more. Yes, of course. And for for now, uh, Putin uh, and Russia and earns. Uh, about 1 billion a day from the gas they sell to Europe, especially. And they spend 900 millions a day attempting to bombard my country into either submission or oblivion. And it's been very explicit that connections between the fossil fuel, fossil fuel companies and also just a, a fossil fuel, a fossil fuel interest, interested financial institutions are so proven and are so obvious. And uh, we do, we do the, uh, have this data, who maintains what assets are uh, in Russian fossil fuels from major banks, pro, from uh, Wall Street institutions, and they are available at putin100.com. Uh, so, so far we see that um, Russian economy is, is quite weak in terms of the, the balance, what, what comes to the economy at what, what's being funded with the economy. And uh, 
60% of the economy is based on the fossil fuel profits and 40% of these profits percentage Russia is spending on its military buildup and uh, in the war in Ukraine every day, as I said, in, in such a much numbers. And uh, actually it's been it's been counted already that the destruction for my country uh, is being assessed for one trillion on US dollars that have made and approximate number that Russia spent on its military buildup. It varies uh, for, for it varies about a six to eight hundred billions of US dollars since the war started. So we see clearly how the weak economies, but just enough fed by fossil fuels, prop up dictators who who declare declare wars. So this this connection was very clear to us. And for what we are doing now, we are fighting for different tomorrow, free from Putin and other petro dictators and free from climate hostile and war feeding fossil fuels. Because at the same time, um, I can only just add that, uh, of course, spiking prices are not adding uh, not adding uh, on the side of the, that this fight is, is so much easy, but we still believe we can overcome all the difficulties connected and created by the fossil fuel industries. Because uh, actually, um, since since the war start, since actually since the war started, the banks were very slow in um, and scrambling to find themselves on the right side of the history. They slowly started to, to divest their funds or just cut the financial supports and loans for some fossil fuel companies. But this process is still quite slow, and. Um, for example, 30% of sales profit were connected to it activities in Russia, and Total is still refusing to stop it activities there and had, has hardly committed not to invest in a new project. And just recently, we had two major actions in partnership uh, against Total. It was a mock trial where we found Total guilty by multiple arguments for the war in Ukraine, maintaining um, assets in Russian fossil fuels, and again for, for destruction in other places uh, globally, especially in Africa. And uh, uh, we also had a uh, protest uh, in uh, Paris for to 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 end before just it started the total shareholders meeting and I had a chance to speak there to those shareholders and I can say that they are uh, hardly moving from from just taking off the huge fossil fuel money from from bloody industry that they feed but at the same time when uh, this support with the public pressure is massive and when reputational pressure is massive there is no other moral commitment that to divest from this industry and in addition to divestment i would say uh, that in general for the last decade divestment from fossil fuel industry enabled 40 trillion of us dollars equivalent being divested from harmful fossil fuel industry. So I truly believe that divestment could play a role in stopping and ending all new oil and gas projects and phasing out of the old. But uh, yeah, so uh, we still need to demand those those divestment, divestment efforts. Because when you try to move shareholders, it's one of the ways, but, uh, but uh, shareholders are just sometimes very hardly to move and they see enormous numbers uh, just which they can make on it people people suffering across the globe
Thanks, Svetlana. I think you explained how uh, oil is fueling Putin's war uh, very clearly in terms of Russia's uh, heavy, sort of not diversified economy and also the glo more global uh, uh, implications of that and made a nice pivot to divestment. So maybe uh, we can start there and then move to the embargo. But I'm curious um, how exactly you see divestment uh, from fossil fuels as a, a mechanism to uh, to stopping this war, fighting climate change, all of the things that we want. Oh, uh, this is yes. This is also has this also has an explicit connection because when you divest the money and uh, from from fossil fuel industry you weaken this industry and you disable them to start a new projects in many countries as it happened partially with the, with uh, ecop in africa and if they, if this, uh, and this is also happening in in some other areas and even in uh even with uh russia the one of the largest importers of of uh, oil and gas in the world on the very top of the supply chain uh they, they the demand in their oil and gas has been declined up to 10 percent as well so what we basically would like to do with divestment as a mechanism uh, first of all cut financial flows that enable new fossil fuel production and uh, uh, try to just and um try to put uh, some measures in place as, for example, the EU Taxonomy Delegated Act, which I have to as well to, to quote here, because it's, uh, it's like a list of green activities that private investors are looking for, either, divest, uh, either invest or not into some green developments. And when I've been visiting the EU Parliament for meeting some me uh, members of the European Parliament and just to, to speak with them and to lobby against the gas and nuclear in the EU taxonomy, what's been very clear to me uh, that private investors for this moment they don't they don't have a, a will and, and demand willpower and a demand to keep investment into fossil fuels massively across Europe. They do understand that these activities are not sustainable. If the if these so-called new generation of private investors will follow the, their initial strategy and will divest into renewable energy, clean energy technologies. And we will still be able to defund all the industry that uh, all and uh, just divert this money that there are in this industry into the new era of clean energy and renewable energy. This is how we may enable the renewable energy transition. Because according to the IEA report, we still miss we still need to triple the investments into renewable energy because it's not there. This all our money profits in the fossil fuel industry. And in terms of profits, I definitely can, can say that only in the first few months of the war, the first quarter, 20 American fossil fuel based companies just earned additional 30.3 billions of dollars and European fossil fuel companies continue to earn uh, extra 107 million US dollars per day 
just because of the higher prices. And uh, this is actually a moment when we when we can think, and it's also based on report of our partners just released recently on Monday, CREA report that uh, actually windfall tax or, or just some sufficiently high tariff onto those oil and gas oil and gas producers may significantly decrease as well demand in in oil and gas for now and just provide more energy security for for the consumers as well for us as a movement uh, and as a coalition it means only that we have to make enough pressure on the both sides of this supply chain on the just trying to cut the as i said just to ban all, all fossil fuels from Russia and drastically reduce their demand and just push companies, push financial institutions, push governments, first to consider this activity morally unacceptable because that's a big part of who we are and how we assess what is happening, even actually towards the war and war impacts on Ukraine and on all other world. We see that it's it's turning in a, into a massive catastrophe. And uh, the fight for Ukrainian freedom actually can lead us to what science has told us we have to do, to stop burning oil, gas, and coal. And this is a very decisive moment. I truly believe that financial institutions and banks and uh, big bosses somewhere in a big, nice, uh, just the rooms and buildings, they do understand. We just need to make more pressure on them and divert these financial flows into clean energy transitions, as we are trying to do with the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero Letter, where we demand them to announce specific financial support for renewable energy before COP27. Thanks for spotlighting the role of finance in particular. I think it's something that we haven't talked enough about on our podcast in general and how uh, it relates to uh, the oil industry and companies like Shell, but really, um, you know, the network is bigger, obviously, than just oil companies like you're showing and uh, the role of banks and other financial institutions in speeding transition and cutting off uh, imports from uh, Russia is is significant. So thank you. And I'm curious now, to moving to the embargo, you know, the European Union recently passed an oil embargo on Russian imports, saying that they'll phase out 90% of Russian oil by the end of this year. Um, different countries have been given different conditions or ex uh, exemptions because of their heavy dependence on Russian oil, like Hungary, like Slovakia, and, and the Czech Republic. And of course, there are many other countries that have also already put in embargoes, like Australia, the United States. Uh, among a number of others. So how effective do you think that these embargoes will be? Uh, I think that uh, it will be it will be effective. It uh, of course, if I uh, is if as I, as I said, we will be able to make enough pressure on those who are, on the other side of the, of, of Russia's Russia step and, and of, of Russia's supply, uh, I mean here those who still who is still buying and consuming Russian oil and gas, and actually the latest report of our partners and the coalition members, CREA, uh, uh, says that 
for for uh, before June June the third, when what remarks the one hundred days since the war against Ukraine started. So Russia earned ninety three billion of euro in revenue from fossil fuel exports, and uh, the EU imported sixty one percent of this, worth approximately fifty seven billion euros. Even just up to date, up to June the third, which was last week. It, we had Stockholm plus 50, actually big international events that, that where, where all political leaders were saying, so uh, we need, uh, we need uh, just gradually, as they said, just phase out fossil fuels uh, and uh, in, enable financial and technical uh, support for those countries that are the most affected and the most vulnerable. And here I have to say that just, just to mention one remark that Ukraine is also just it's obviously become a country the most vulnerable to the impact of the fossil fuel crisis as well and the fossil fuel war. So I consider Ukraine also to be in this list. But what we see from this data, from numbers, the largest importers were Germany with 12.1 billion of euros paid for this all this time to Russia, Italy as well, the Netherlands with the big ports that still continued to, to just to accept these uh, ships, shipments and uh, Turkey, Poland, France and India. And uh, Poland and the United States made the largest dents in Russia's revenue. Lithuania, Finland and Estonia achieved sharp percentage reductions of more than 50%. And as I like what Lithuania political leader uh, said, said, we were dependent on 90 Nine, or 90 or 95% on Russia, Russian fossil fuels. But we, we've been able to phase out them completely by April the 1st. If we could do that, everyone can do this potentially. But we see that the political willpower is still missing from this list. And uh, the EU is simply looking for a moment to replace Russian fossil fuels with non-Russian ones. And this will only accelerate the climate crisis which is the crisis for all the world's citizens and Ukrainians included. And it will further embolden the tyrants who draw their power from fossil fuels. As we know from conflicts in the Middle East, the outrageous war in my country is not the first fossil fueled war. Yes, this is the most horrific. This is most poignant war, just for me in particular. But if we don't act urgently, it won't be the last. This, what I intended to say with embargo, that countries of the Europe especially are very slow towards the embargo decisions. So we just had the second, past, uh, not the sixth package with this partial oil embargo. And uh, only just recently as well, just it took over two months to, to for the EU to consider and reconsider how they can actually get rid of Russian oil. And what concerns me is that we don't have this time by the end of this year where they actually intend to impose a full embargo on Russian oil. We don't have this time because we Ukrainians are dying at the very same time. So I do think that the embargo will be effective, will, will, it will be imposed immediately and uh, in a full scale. And if there will be a secondary sanctions on those who are still uh, making a trade, insurance services and financial, providing a financial services 
to Russian fossil fuel for shipments. And uh, the third very important for me, because I cannot, of course, ignore, we, we are part of a global movement and we understand all the connections with social justice and with the climate justice as well. It's imperative that the world not simply replace Russian fossil fuel fuels with fossil fuels from other countries, in particular, liquefied natural gas and these LNG terminals and new explorations and uh, fossil fuel expansion must be immediately halted and nations worldwide must commit to the rapid and just transition away from all fossil fuels. Of course, it's not going easy, but what I just, uh, I wanted to summarize that the next thing what we would like to do just to, to campaign for a secondary sanctions because there is, a, for example, London, big insurance companies that provides 95% of all insurance services for all Russian fossil fuel supply. If you just move this one particular company or sanction, sanctions this company uh, against just continuing insurance services, we can make a change for India and China, for example, because the ships from Russia are going to India and China extensively because these are buyers that replace Germany with this leading role of buying Russia's oil. And these are as well just countries that you can hardly campaign in a democratic way, especially in China. We all understand these difficulties, but there are some secondary measures that we can impose at the governments. We, we, can, we can demand and governments can impose on those traders, on those ship, ship uh, shipments providers, on big service providers, of big energy providers. And I believe that all together in solidarity, we will be able just to impose the full embargo, but at the same time, just to cut the other side of the tap, which means increased exploration in the countries of the global south, because we stand in the highest and just bold solidarity with those countries. There should not be new oil and gas and coal fields nowhere because, uh, and um, uh, yes, that was I intended to say. And the very dramatic is also cutting the demand for energy, increased energy, energy savings, energy efficiency, and energy consumption as well across, especially across Europe. Uh, it's also very important introducing that demand and um, uh, yeah, and just amplification of a clean energy transition, which I believe embargo will cause. And last, I've, I've just mentioned about this today, but sufficiently high tariff or windfall taxes on oil and gas importers will also help just to, 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 to get this decline in prices. Because some people in uh, many countries um, are still facing the crisis in the cost of living and uh, especially even the effects of the war even felt in Africa. I spoke to my friends, uh, to my friends here, as they said, we feel that everyone on the planet feels it. So just let, let's try and end this, uh, just uh, phase out fossil fuels all together right now. Yeah, thank you, Svetlana. I think, uh, yeah, I appreciate that you have started to broaden the perspective or focus a little bit more on the discussion around the embargoes, because uh, I think often here um, we are very focused on, on, on Europe and what is happening there. But I think what is really interesting to take into consideration is really, uh, yeah, what role maybe other big players or actors have in this. And I'm, yeah, curious to hear a little bit more about 
for instance, China. China so far has taken a fairly neutral uh, position in this um, in this conflict. It continues to import uh, Russian gas and to do uh, business with Russia. So, yeah, I'm wondering what uh, to what extent. Yeah, the fact that they're continuing business business is also counteracting efforts in, in Europe to let yeah to strengthen an embargo. Uh, and if you can talk a little bit about that. Yes, what I can say is that uh, China has become the largest importer of Russian oil and overtook Germany as the largest importer. And China's imports has been essentially constant while Germany has managed a modest reduction on oil imports from Russia. Uh, of course, there are uh, just... I, I see different sides of this problem, actually. I, I see a problem when China is a large country and uh, you can hardly, uh, just due to some democratic restriction, uh, just campaign campaign for China. But we also see uh, cli climate movements propping up in Taiwan against the coal, which is close to China and in, in China itself. And I think if we just use appropriately the secondary sanctions on those traders, and if we weaken Russian fossil fuel supply enough that they won't be making uh, just additional supply to China, we can get some, of course, we can get some, some success in decreased, decreased consumption. But also China has the largest potential of renewable energy and uh, uh, it can be a global leader of green energy, green energy revolution. I'm still very much aware that we are speaking about renewable energy. We should not, we should not be, should not be creating another monopolies which will threaten the world just the years after. So that's why renewable energy, clean energy, has to be uh, a community energy, distributed energy produced by everyone and accessible and affordable by everyone, because at least no one can uh, can own sun and wind in this proportion. For for the point, so I see more just where we can uh, make a pressure just uh, trying to push push uh, China to become a leader of a global energy transition. But at the same time, of course, the extensive industry requires requires uh, consumption of oil. So that's why we oil, that's why we very much rely on the secondary sanctions and the tariffs on the, those fossil fuel companies who are still supplying supplying uh, to, to, uh, to China. And also just we are very mindful that some banks are remaining the top fossil fuel bankers in the world. So, and they finance Russian uh, state energy giants like Gazprom and enable those to be that powerful. If we work towards those banks, uh, as, as for example, JP Morgan Chase and some other banks uh, on, on this side, uh, we can um, drop, we can make them drop Russian companies instead of playing both sides. And actually they should validate their place in uh, global financial alliance for net zero as well by setting ambitious and near-term targets to reduce their support to the fossil fuel industry globally. So I see that these banks that fund, especially uh, Russian banks that uh, cut those root, root cost problem of oil supply, secondary sanctions, but other countries, and uh, uh, sanctions that European Union or specifically UK can take can impose on these insurance providers. They, they just physically cuts the supply 
to uh, it will be disruptive a bit yes but the uh, outstanding time re times require such the same measures and radical measures at the same time so i truly believe that only trying to to cover different areas of impact we we can make it impact itself on, and only international solidarity in demanding the sanctions both the primarily and, and secondary and tariffs on the fossil fuel companies and divestment from fossil fuels and um, from banks and financial institutions taking their right side in the history can make a difference in the world and of course if you work with the movements in the countries that uh, are specifically uh, are specifically the biggest threat of of Russian oil and gas import. Yeah, thank you for elaborating on these issues a little bit more. And yeah, you've mentioned it in in one of your responses, but I think I would like to highlight it a bit more. I think one worrisome development that we have been see uh, we've seen because of the divestment and yeah sort of the scramble for alternative fossil fuel resources uh, as alternatives from Russian oil and gas is that, um, yeah, European countries have started to explore particularly in, uh, yeah, alternatives, uh, particularly in the global South, in, in African nations. Uh, they've been looking into new drillings in oil and gas exploration, uh, for instance, in Mozambique. Like what are... Yeah, how how can we overcome? What are your ideas on how we can overcome these issues? Since it is definitely, I guess, not yeah, it's not bringing us closer towards a just energy transition at this point. Yes. So uh, how I see? Yeah, I know very well because I do have uh, fr many friends and allies everywhere. As I've been working for Low Data Sea Movement as a global campaign manager as well against the fossil fuels uh, and i know from my colleagues from uh across africa that they are and, and also in latin america and in asia where the huge investments are going to flow into the coal and other fossil fuel exploration i know that it's very hard for them right now and uh, of course russian russian oil companies were present across africa as well and uh, um uh, but there are just now uh, more increased demand for gas, gas and oil from, from African continent, which puts uh, local communities into a huge danger and just only adds to the impact that the Ukraine war in Ukraine is already having uh, on all, all over the world, about 2 billion people in 107 countries are affected. And many of these countries are the countries of the global south. So how would I approach this? What we are actually trying to do and what we try to do uh, during Stockholm plus 50 as well, we try to call for a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty, which will make all fossil fuels being kept in the ground because uh, just and will enable, uh, which will uh, ban the proliferate, proliferation. This is one part of the solution, how we can do this politically, just speaking to governments and trying to persuade them to endorse the fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty and just to, to keep all their resources in the ground. But at the same time, what I see critical and what we also have been trying to do as a coalition to make a pressure on the EU because uh, uh, and the countries that increased exploration saying that uh, 
uh, and they all are actually saying this, that the war in Ukraine made us to, to look, in, look for increased exploration. But uh, my message to them would be that don't justify it your and don't use this barrage of petrol propaganda uh, as a, your justification for increased exploration and for your colonial efforts to just to to go to the countries and make a huge destruction and create the conflicts every, uh, everywhere in the world. Uh, we have to put enough pressure on the EU. EU countries and uh, especially towards uh, renewable energy, clean energy transition, energy energy efficiency, and to speak literally to everyone, starting from industry uh, and uh, going to citizens and just to reduce that to reduce demand from one side, from other side, this is absolutely unacceptable that these projects got funding from financial institutions and they get support from financial institutions. Another part of this would be uh, would be uh, just providing a lot of campaign arguments and campaign actions and protests and massive civil society pressure to those who are still providing the huge loans, insurance services to colonial efforts of the EU, uh, especially to the European Union that they are trying to bring into the African continent as well. And at the same time, um, there is uh, basically, just as far as I know, people on the ground also in Nigeria or in um, uh, Uganda or Tanzania, where we have these eco problem, big, big, big uh, exploration problem that threatens many just thousands tens of thousands of families and nature and all of these just to, to to pressure all institutions at once and they will fall down as as a dictatorship as well because they all fall down where there is enough of joint action and um, yes I, and what we are going to do next is uh, just fully demand the gas embargo which is the toughest within the European Union. And the EU Parliament has already supported the gas embargo. But as we see, there is a very slow action from the EU countries. But there is time for them to understand that we cannot, absolutely cannot effort doing business and consume resources as usual. We have climate crisis and energy security crisis and food crisis. And uh, this is not acceptable that we come back to the colonial times and bring destruction to countries in Algeria and, uh, uh, and Nigeria and uh, Mozambique and just everywhere. Yeah, I see that we have to move the major financial players and banks, as I said. Yeah, Svetlana, you've mentioned a number of different tools uh, to do this, including divestment, the embargo, but also, I think, divestment from these secondary institutions, um, like the insurance companies, as well as um, the windfall tax, which actually came up in our other uh, episode on uh shell and oil and the war in Ukraine. So this is all very interesting and I think very useful. Sort of in terms of dealing with uh, the oil industry's efforts to uh, look elsewhere, like Africa, um, to for, for new sources of oil, um, I think sort of we're suggesting slowly that Really, this is an opportunity to shift away from oil and gas and fossil fuels entirely. Um, so I want to talk more about renewables and transition. So what 
what are a few steps that such countries could take to cut support from the war in Ukraine, as well as to transition in a just fashion? Yes. Um, thank you so much. This is a great question, which provides us a perspective and at the same time some optimism that we can end uh, all crises at once if we only will be just uh, decisive enough and determined enough and just not lose this really important moment when we can do that. The window is open and how would I suggest we, we, we need to, to act? Of course, the record high fossil fuel prices and the drive to reduce reliance on Russia's fossil fuels have prompted increased ambitious ambition for clean energy and energy efficiency across Europe, which is, will effectively lessen the impact of banning imports from Russia. And spreading the most effective national policies is a one step uh, across the block and beyond uh, could sustainably increase the impact. So sustainable policies. As, as an example, I do have this repower EU strategy, which is not bad in general. It foresees, foresees a huge uh, reduction in Russian fossil fuels and increase in renewable energy supply from by 45%, I believe, just for the next few years. But at the same time, the Energy, internal energy strategy of the EU tells us that they are looking just to replace Russian fossil fuel supply from Senegal, from some other countries. So, so, uh, so this should stop. The policies should not include uh, colonial efforts just, just to justify the eco economy need from, from main major countries in the European Union, especially especially uh, Germany, for example, because uh, honestly, this JDP decline will be too little and too, too easy manageable, very easy manageable for them. I can say from the position as a Ukrainian, because up to the reports, if Germany will just completely ban Russian oil and gas, the economic decline of, uh, of uh, based on it will be starting from 0 0.3, up to 6% maximum economic decline, which is still very manageable. Ukrainian economic de uh, decline as a result of just this uh, fossil fuel war for now is huge. It starts from 35% and expected to grow up to 50%. This is hard to manage. If the same economic de declines will appear in the countries of Africa, for example, or some other countries uh, where the EU wants to, to implore the, uh, more extraction, uh, more exploration of fossil fuels. So we will need much more global efforts to tackle this crisis along with the climate crisis. We have to phase out fossil fuels, and this should be in a national policies, in the uh, EU policies as well, and we need more bold ambitious towards that. And I as I said about the investments into renewable energy, of course, we we still behind all these investments. And it's very obvious where all money are. If we just, and the world up to other reports has enough renewable energy potential everywhere in all continents and countries. It's been proven with numbers. This is fossil fuel exit strategy, a report that explicitly 
calls on that, saying the IA is, say, is saying that we can overcome the dependence on fossil fuels and we can end our addiction to fossil fuels very soon if we just if it will be in national policies and also to the global institutions is it as these funds alliance so they have all power to to just collect collide those resources investment resources and to build reliable plans to finance the developing countries and to finance the green green uh, recovery and not, not just recovery green, green plan for my country to, to raise it from the war ashes as well. So this should be a massive shift in the policies as well, but also regulation of what fossil fuel companies are doing uh, because states are responsible and governments are responsible for that. And we see some uh, new, uh, new uh, approved fossil fuel fields somewhere in Canada, somewhere in the US and uh, somewhere in the UK as well. Just just the thirst for these fossil fuels is so big that that, that countries, governments are trying to drill like uh, uh, to drill for more oil and gas everywhere, and these should should be stopped immediately with the state policies and with the te additional tariffs and taxes, and with it, some doable and reliable plans of net zero, but just real plans, not a greenwashing one from the fossil fuel companies how they transform themselves of being that that's that's bloody profiting on on the fossil fuels and uh, owning the old revenues that that actually don't belong to them and next step would be uh i would say that uh when people will be demanding an end to economic systems that allow their lives to be thrown into violent chaos all the wimps of despots and profiters because it requires this era of ending era of fossil fuels requires international cooperation to achieve. And this starts with, with an equal commitment to peace and to ending our reliance on fossil fuels, just to, to enabling dictators to launch devastating wars using fossil fuel money. So, and the last one, we must dismantle the violent systems of oppression. I truly believe that underpinning the fossil fuel industries that allow corporations like Exxon, Shell, Total, British Petroleum, and others to exploit coal, oil, and gas. Thank you. Thanks, Svetlana. You gave a very multi-layered answer, I think, which is just right, you know, that the this regulation aspect with regards to fossil fuels um, and the role of states, but also how this plays into uh, larger questions of oppression and uh, building peace, particularly in Ukraine. So I guess to wrap up, my uh, last question to you is... Um, you know, about this sort of renewable energy future that we're envisioning. So I think one thing to highlight is that renewable energy, like wind and solar, tends to be more decentralized in how it's organized. You know, you mentioned we can't own the sun and the wind in the way that Russia, for example, owns its fossil fuel reserves. Um, and so you become less, or countries become less dependent on other nations that have these oil, gas, coal reserves. So, but we still need to consider, I think, uh, supply chains of these heavy metals that, that are mined 
for solar energy, for the panels, as well as for battery storage, for example. So I don't know, any concluding thoughts about, um, about this aspect and how we might set it up in a way that promotes both peace um, and, and, and no exploitation, basically, of, of people and environments. Yes, thank you so much. Very, uh, also very aspirational question because you, I start, uh, I started imagining that truly the future that will, uh, the green future, so-called, that will provide the prosperity and non-oppression and the uh, elimination of a patriarchy of a fossil fuels based system and the, the huge effects they had on the generations, many, many generations. And uh, for me in particular, where I see, uh, uh, where, when I think of the clean energy transition, renewable energy transition, I think that it should be also a new era which, which makes exploitation impossible. I do understand that it's not an easy question to answer because we have extraction problem also um, very, very, just very uh, explicitly written up in many countries, especially Latin America and some other countries as well. And I think that we, to, to how we put efforts as a civil society and uh, playing the leading role towards steering this clean energy transition is, uh, um, understanding these far-reaching consequences for mineral demand over the next 20 years. Uh, that, of course, uh, according to the IA, uh, again, because they, they are one who produce reports, how much how much of the minerals and how many and how uh, what a variety of minerals uh, humanity will need to appropriately transit to renewable energy and to clean energy. And uh, what is... What is important to understand that there is no a simple answer to this question because the supply chain of critical metals and uh, minerals is extremely complex, even for now. But uh, effective transition to green, clean energy will also require a circular economy for critical minerals as well, which means the seven air or five air or whatever many uh, reused and, uh, and other arts that we will be able to, to implement within the circular, circular economy. And the creation of renewable energy system and the transition towards a circular economy are therefore part of the same agenda, working towards a truly sustainable energy system that enables humanity to thrive for decades to come. When we overcome the energy poverty and when we enable energy access to all those billions of people who don't have it yet. At the same time, I, I see it in a, it's my perspective. I see it, yes, the demand will rise, but the circular economy and effective, efficient use can make a difference in how we may use these minerals. And also there are some possibility to substitute some minerals with some latest chemical chemical production, which will won't require the direct extraction of those minerals from the earth, from, from the ground and from the earth. I think that uh, this, this is another point of why, where we can just put these uh, efforts and financial, financial uh, resources to uh, renewable energy in 
in, in getting more verified data, how we overcome and asset deficits that may appear uh, on the way to a clean energy. But I think that's, uh, that it's completely doable and the community on energy uh, helps us to save resources. Zero emissions building where with uh, net zero emissions materials, which are uh, for that with a new efficient styles of how we how we manage and keep our built environment uh, zero emission zero emission all of it and of course this should be a huge uh, huge. Um, uh, consciousness shift and huge shift in mindset of those who will be the main consumers of renewable energy because we will live in the societies where the energy will be distributed and community owned that requires a community also a community responsibility of how responsibly we consume this energy and how we share this energy between among of us but i think it's doable because we are uh, working towards this societal shift and social change which can happen overnight but I see, I see the science that this is happening already across across different nations and countries. And the first sign for me, it was how we all got united and in solidarity when the war in my country in Ukraine started. And we all just, I mean, all the massive climate movement organizations, grassroots activists, groups, we started to demand the end the era of fossil fuels because it's fully understandable that we cannot continue to live as we as we and to be continuously put into danger and be limited in our freedoms and then be physically destroyed. So to avoid all of that and we to enable, uh, I would say it even goes beyond the democracy, democracy as I understand democracy, just the full freedom of non-oppressive fossil fuel based societies and economies will make us free, will break us free. And uh, to start from that, I think we just, uh, we've, we already are in the good track. We just need all just more efforts to break this dependency of fossil fuels and to understand that another world is possible. And yeah, I think that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Svetlana, uh, for all your thoughts today and also for um, all your work, your courageous work on um, envisioning a world beyond war and fossil fuels and teaching us all about how those things are, are linked. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Archana and Marisol, for inviting me to speak. Because I, I, I don't believe that I, uh, I am teaching someone. I'm just sharing the common wisdom that we hold as a movement, all of us, on, on, on all levels. And we are the power. And we are the people who hold the, hold the power to change. So uh, thank you so much for inviting and having a space to speak. Inspiring words for movements there from Svetlana. So in this episode, we learned a lot about the importance of the role of finance in driving continued fossil fuel reliance and war. We also discussed how tools like embargoes, divestment, and windfall taxes might start limiting the power of fossil fuel companies in this context, perhaps as steps towards a phase out. If you liked this episode, please follow and like us on your podcast platform. Check out our show notes to learn more about the reports on Russia's oil and gas revenues and stand with Ukraine's campaigns. To find out more about Future Beyond Shell, visit futurebeyondshell.org. See you next time.